Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm your host, Adam Conover, and you might also know me as the host of Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, and you might also know me as the host of Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, and you can find clips and full episodes of that show at truetv.com slash Everything and the Watch True TV app. And I'm also very happy to announce that in March, we have six all-new, all-animated Adam Ruins Everything episodes coming out for you. It's a little mini-series we're calling Reanimated History, where I take you on a whirlwind animated tour and correct all the mistakes in every history story you've ever heard. It's going to be really fun, so watch for that starting March 20th on True TV. But on this podcast, I talk to researchers, academics, and experts from around the world of human knowledge about the work they do and why it is so important and a mind-blowing. Today's guest is Professor Daniel Jolly, who appeared on Adam Ruin's Conspiracy Theories. And look, there are so many conspiracy theories out there. There's the 9-11 conspiracy theory and the JFK conspiracy theory and the conspiracy that my mom thinks that the grocery store is trying to screw her by never stocking vanilla ice cream. I'm t- I'm, I swear that that is very real. She really believes it, and she believes it is an actual conspiracy. Um, they're all around us, and also in recent years, it seems that they have become more and more pervasive and, frankly, mainstream. But despite that, there has not been very much actual research done on conspiracy theories until recently. And Professor Daniel Jolly is one of the people who is leading this emerging field. He is a psychology professor at Staffordshire University, where he researches conspiracy theories. I am so excited to have him join me all the way from London. Let's just get right to the interview. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me from Over the Pond. (laughs) <laughs> you were you were so of all our guests you were like maybe the most delighted to be on a television set <laughs> i was so excited it was such an eye-opening experience to see the set and everything behind the scenes i, I loved it <laughs> yeah you like hung out af- after you were wrapped you like hung out and watched for a little bit <laughs> i did i did because i'm a fan of the show so i was like it was cool it was good to be there so i did i stayed for a little while and i saw a few takes um, from behind the camera <laughs> so it was a good experience <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that because, you know, our show's all about curiosity. I like it when our experts are curious about what we're doing. Uh, but I'm so curious about the work that you do because you study uh, professionally conspiracy theories, do you not? I do indeed. I have looked into conspiracy theories for quite a few years, do my PhD in the topic area, and I still am fascinated by it even today. And I, I understand that it's a little bit of an emerging field because conspiracy theories are obviously that's something we've known about for a while, but it's sort of new that there's been any real social science research on the topic. Is that right? That is right. It's probably about the last 10 years or so, maybe even, even that actually, that the psychologists have come interested in why we believe in conspiracy theories. Now, the theories have been around for thousands of years. It's not a yeah. new phenomenon, which is quite fascinating. But what is new is people's necessarily interest in why people believe and what actually are conspiracy theories, which I think is quite fascinating. 
Well, and it sort of coincides with this shift we've gone through over the last 10 years as well, because I've always been fascinated by conspiracy theories, like even when I was uh, when I was a kid. But it was sort of this, you know, oh, I'm interested in this kooky, these kooky ideas that only a few people have, you know, like it was very, very much on the fringes. Of like, uh, okay, this is uh, what you know. What sort of the the silly folks off around the mm. edges of society are doing, yeah. and sort of a fun world to enter. And, and you mm. know, I've always been fascinated by uh, uh, odd logical processes, or or uh, you know, people who are sort of making a making a uh, intellectual mistake and and get taken down a weird road. You know, mm. I've I've always been fascinated in understanding how that works, but. In the last 10 years, it feels like conspiratorial thinking has become much, much more mainstream and something that actually, you know, concerns us as a society. Absolutely. And that could be one reason why we didn't really pay attention to conspiracy theories, because we thought they were just for the crazy tin hat forward people, people who are on the fringes of society, when actual fact that isn't true. When polls were demonstrating that actually millions of people are endorsing conspiracy theories, that's when psychologists started paying attention and wondering why do so many people believe in these conspiracy theories? It can't be that all paranoid people are conspiracy believers, because there's millions of people who believe in conspiracy theories. So they can't all be paranoid. So there must be other explanations to explain why people kind of fall into conspiracy theories. And that's kind of what's what's happened. Yeah, it's like it can't just be once you realize how susceptible almost everyone is to them, you can't say, okay, it's just some pathology that we can understand, you know, it's in the DSM or whatever. It's like something that we're that we're all susceptible to. And And that's that was the early work. It suggested that paranoia was the key kind of trait, which it still is. Paranoia is associated with belief in conspiracy theories. It does play a role, but it's not the only role. It just plays... It's a part in the jigsaw, shall we say. But 10 years ago... It was, we thought that was the only reason. And that could be the reason why not many people pay, pay attention. We thought, well, what's the point? It's just the paranoid people. What harm can they actually have? It's only when, as I say, the polls demonstrated actually they're quite widespread, we started thinking, well, what actually could be the impact of so many people believing in these conspiracy theories? And it's not just, you, you know, we talked about on our show, uh, you know, how many people believe in, you know, the moon landing was a hoax or, you know, the JFK assassination is the big classic in mm. the United States where mm. sort of everything lined up so that a huge number of people believed, OK, there's something else going on here. I believe but I, 61% I, have also, I think believe in that theory, 61% really? in the polled, which is a lot of people. <laughs> or they believe in they believe in some JFK conspiracy theory yeah. that, that in one version or another mm. of it. Mm. Um, and well, without getting too deeply into that, yeah. I, I've yeah. also noticed that uh, the, it's almost like almost everybody has their own sort of pet conspiracy theory that they believe in. Or you you can discover you can know someone for a long, long time and then find out that you know they believe in some weird you know pop culture conspiracy theory or mm. you know or, or something. You know, something along those lines. Like, it's almost an extension of, you know, sometimes my parents will be like, you know, oh, that's, oh, they do that. You know, it's that, that idea of like, oh, oh, they just do that to get your money. Like, that sort of beginning breadcrumb becomes, mm. like, can sort of grow into a larger belief in, you know, uh, uh, in a conspiracy theory. And that seems to be that when I started noticing that pattern was when I started feeling like, oh, this is just sort of like a, an error of thought that we can all make or a, or a, pattern that we can all fall into 
Yes, that, that is exactly right. And what you say there, it's a normal process. Your parents, your best friends can all kind of fall, fall prey to conspiracy theories. Because they are a normal process, they're a kind of a bias in our mind, a, a quirk in our personality. Like one of the biases you mentioned in the show was proportionality bias. So that's the idea that big events must be explained by something equally as big. So you've got 9-11, JFK, Princess Diana. Big events happening. The princess has died. It's a massive event. Explaining that as a conspiracy theory by the UK government maintains portionality. Big event, big cause. Saying Diana died by a simple car accident doesn't make sense. So our brains are kind of high-wired to kind of link these two things together. So when we hear about this big event happening, a missing plane, for example, like we did in, in your sketch, it people are susceptible to believe it's a conspiracy theory. Right, and they want that big explanation. Like when the you know, the plane, the it was the Malaysia Airlines plane, I believe, and it yes, it yeah. disappeared, right? And people yeah. believed I remember that. I had friends saying, wait a second, it can't it's impossible for a plane to just disappear. And so and you know, I when you think about it, it's like, well, is it so impossible? Like if the plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean, you know, it's such a huge area um, and, you know, who knows what went on with the electronics and, and et cetera. Um, mm. It doesn't it doesn't seem out of the it seem the explanation could be totally banal. Right. Mm. Uh, but the event is so huge that people mm. feel, oh, there must be something else yeah. behind it. There yeah. must be. Uh, and and even if they don't jump to a conspiracy theory from that, you can sense that they they want that big explanation, and that's the yeah. only thing that's going to make them satisfied. Yeah, they want the answers because yeah. when a big event happens, it makes us feel out of control, it makes us feel uncertain, it makes us feel anxious. So a conspiracy theory provides a quick answer to that problem. It's an enemy for what's just happened. You can explain it quite quickly. Oh, the, the plane's gone missing because it's a government conspiracy theory. You then feel more, more in control, less anxious and more certain. So alongside this bias of linking the big event with the big cause, you actually really want to link them because you want to kind of feel better. You want to feel less anxious because it doesn't feel good when you feel anxious, of course. So you seek ways to do that. So it could, in a way, be a coping mechanism for when big things happen. It's a way to cope with it. That makes a lot of sense to me because I, I always wondered why, you know, wh- the one of the big new, you know, major conspiracies that popped up in my lifetime is the, uh, you know, 9-11 truth conspiracy theory that basically broadly that the U.S. government was aware of or planned 9-11. And um, I always thought, you know, wh- wait, why do people like that conspiracy theory? Because the world that that postulates is so much worse, right? It's mm-hmm. a worse world if you believe that. Uh, you know, rather than just being sort of lazy and incompetent, the uh, Bush administration literally, mm. you know, on purpose killed, you know, thousands and thousands of its of its own citizens. Uh, mm. That's uh, th- that's such a, you know, worse reality to enter into. Uh, but then if you reframe it as, well, it's so frightening, the idea that something like that could happen and we would not know about it, be unprepared and that we are essentially unprotected from mm. events like that. That is extremely unsettling because we lived in this world where, OK, you know, the, the government is hyper competent and they're, you know, the CIA is out there and they're all the people, you know, in the secret bases who are protecting us. And like, oh, wait, those people don't exist. We're just we're just uh, open to any catastrophe at any time. That's very frightening. So if instead you 
postulate, no, it was those. It it was an evil group of hyper competent evil government officials. <laughs> that is more comforting in a way yeah. because you have a framework to understand it and a and a worldview uh, that is sort of. Like at the very least, you have certainty about mm. why it happened and whether whether it can happen again. Mm. And that's what makes conspiracy theory so appealing because it can make us feel better, or at least temporarily. Because some of the research has found that when people are exposed to conspiracy theories, the government's involved in plots and schemes, it can actually make you feel more perilous. It can make you make you feel more uncertain. So it's kind of a weird kind of paradox in that it's quite appealing when the event happens but then once you kind of take on that belief that okay the government's conspiring against me that then makes you feel more distrustful towards the government and kind of going to be of a cycle so whilst it may seem to be quite appealing it may not be satisfying so you may endorse the conspiracy theory and then actually become more perilous or feel like you're more perilous feel like you're more out of control when actual facts, it's yeah, it's a little bit like a drug where the first the first taste makes you feel momentarily better, but then overall over time you get more and more less secure and less stable. Absolutely, that's that's what we're, that's what we're proposing. But there's not been a lot of research that has looked at conspiracy theories over time. So to see mm. how someone's exposure to it, say in day one, how that affects their beliefs in let's say day seven, day fourteen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we are just kind of proposing that it appears to be appealing but not satisfying because when people are exposed to it in a one kind of uh, in one setting it seems to reduce their kind of feelings of perilous so it'd be interesting to see how that affects it over time and if someone's exposed to conspiracy theories do they feel more powerful in that particular moment but then it kind of goes down and down and down to the very kind of perilous Uh. mistrustful over a period of time and that would be quite interesting to kind of research but that has not been done yet you I'm should kind of, do it. I'm kind of, I'm, I should. I should do it instead of sitting here theorizing, <laughs> plotting. <laughs> um, but but the main point is that they are appealing, but they're not necessarily satisfying, which I think is bleeds into the dangers of conspiracy theories. In that, obviously, there are positive consequences because. Even if temporarily it makes you feel good, that is a good thing. Yeah. And some researchers have found that when they interview people who believe in conspiracy theories, they indicate that they feel a part of a community, a part of like a small mm. community, which, again, is a real positive thing. It's just with my own research, I've been looking into the impact on other behaviours. So, for example, climate change, anti-vaccine conspiracy theories. And what we find is when people are exposed to those conspiracy theories, so reading a piece of text, uh, presenting the conspiracy account to do with climate change, people are less likely to want to reduce their carbon footprint. They think, well, if it's all, all a hoax, why do I want to walk to work? Why do I want to use energy efficiency? So it can actually lead to inaction. So mm-hmm. people are not acting. And we found the same effects with anti-vaccine conspiracy theories. So believing that it's all for profit, vaccines aren't safe, you're less likely to want to vaccinate a fictional child. So it's conspiracy theories are quite fun to talk about, they're quite controversial, but they could actually have some quite serious consequences. Now, is that if, even if you talk about it without 
be, you know, quote, believing it? Because I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of people talk about conspiracy theories and they feel like it's just for fun. Like, oh, Alex Jones, he's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, have you heard about the lizard people? That's really fun. You know, like oh, people almost watch, uh, you know, those Netflix sort of conspiracy theory documentaries like their, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like their horror movies or whatever. Just like, oh, let me just toss it on. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't really believe this. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that sort of, you know, exposure? Mm-hmm. Does that have an effect on people? Or That's a good question. So with the experiments I've been involved in, we've exposed people to this information, then asked their belief in conspiracy theories first. So do you believe that climate change is a hoax? And they indicate their belief usually on a scale. But I take your point that they could just be thinking, oh, it's a bit, bit, bit of fun, isn't it? Oh, what's, let's put a seven. So I know people have looked into different ways to measure belief in conspiracy theories. And there are all different kind of questionnaires out there that have looked into this. But I kind of take it as when people are exposed to conspiracy theories or not, they indicate a higher belief, which then leads to that kind of inaction. And Uh. it seems to affect, as I say, all different things. I mentioned climate change. I mentioned anti-vaccine. But it's also been shown to have effect in the workplace. Some research has found that if people think that their boss is conspiring, involved in plots and schemes, it makes them less satisfied with their job. And, then, yeah. and it indicates, and, it's, and that's associated with a higher intention to leave. So it <laughs> yeah. can also actually dis- make you, you know, have disengage with your, with your work. So believing your boss is conspiring could actually have consequences in organisations. Well, now, uh, that raises the question. Sometimes, you know, I've had bosses who, who actually were kind of conspiring, you know, or who, who uh, you know, were withholding information from me and, and uh, not telling me what was really going on. And then I found out and I felt betrayed, you know. So that's mm-hmm. not, always a, uh, that's not mm-hmm. always a false feeling, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, so h- how do we distinguish, you know, when we say – when we say a conspiracy theory, we usually mean something that's false, right? Mm-hmm. Um but uh, there are there is there are such things as real conspiracies. <laughs> um, there are, and and so how do we how, you know how do we distinguish between the two? I think that's really down to the definition, and we could probably have a whole podcast on how to define a conspiracy <laughs> theory because there are yeah. multiple definitions. And my kind of view is that it's kind of pointing a finger at those in authority. Those are kind of powerful people are acting in secret for their own gain. All, you know, all those secret plots. But that does mean that some theories have been proven to be true. So when, for example, say your boss has been shown that they were conspiring, well, then that's no longer a conspiracy theory. That is the mainstream <laughs> account. And that is what actually happened. So it is yeah. that balancing act. And that's kind of what makes conspiracy theories so fascinating because they can be proven to be true. And they have been. Not, not many, but they have been. But my research looks at it more kind of why do people believe and why do people not believe? So not necessarily are they true or false, just why do some mm. people believe and some people don't believe? Because, And that's what kind of fascinates me the most, really, is, is the both sides of the coin. Well, and that question is really interesting because when I think about what distinguishes, you know, a real conspiracy, like the ones we talk about mm. on our show, like, say, yeah. uh, you know, a union uh, president who's, you know, misappropriating funds to enrich himself or, you know, that kind of dirty dealing mm. um, or, you know, corruption in government is a real, you know, it's a real thing that can happen. Uh, you know, those are real issues and those are real conspiracies. But when we talk about a conspiracy theory of the type that we're talking about now, um, the characteristics of the theory are really what define it. Like, for instance, you can prove a conspiracy theory 
uh, true, but it seems almost impossible to prove one false to someone mm. who really believes in it. It's like they're like resistant to having it ever be falsified. They always have another reason to believe in it. I mean, you know, the most ex- extreme example people are probably familiar with are like, the, you know, flat earthers, that type of person. Um, but, you know, we, of course, had them in response to our segment about the moon landing, you know, where we had a, a forensic, you know, film uh, analyst come on and say it would be impossible to fake this thing using the film technology available at the time and go look at the comments of that video and you know there are people who are very resistant to having that idea be falsified um and then there's also you know a lot of conspiracy theories seem like they're contradictory uh self-contradictory like the also the moon landing one the theory is both that NASA didn't have the technology to go to the moon, so they had to fake it. But also, it requires them to have super advanced film technology in order to fake it. So, so which is it? Are they super advanced technologically or not? Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, you know, conspiracy theories seem to have these weird features that are sort of illogical and irrational. Um, uh, yet, people believe them anyway. Uh, so why why is that? <laughs> well, they are just so powerful. That's what they are. They're so powerful. So my research has I've demonstrated that when you're exposed to conspiracy theories first, so that, that comes your belief. If you're given counter arguments afterwards, it doesn't seem to change that belief. So, for example, if you're exposed to the idea that vaccines are not safe, they're for profit, and then you're told no vaccines are safe, that they're fine, you don't change your belief. Because mm. the conspiracy theory kind of comes in rooted, it kind of it, it comes resistant to correction. Now we know already that kind of information can be really hard to kind of counteract, but with conspiracy theories, it could be something slightly different. It could be that they're even more difficult to counteract than other false information, other fake news, for example, because potentially me theorising, they're so interesting, they're so controversial, they take our belief. With the counter-argument, the mainstream, it usually is not as interesting as the conspiracy account. Uh. So when we kind of are exposed to that information and it comes to our belief, it seems to really hold on, which can be related to psychology as well, confirmation bias. When we have a belief, we want to confirm that belief. So we want to hear people saying yes to our belief. Those who say no don't really make sense we don't like hearing the word no so we discredit (laughs) what that person is saying oh they're part of the conspiracy they're not sure what they're talking about as a way to maintain our belief so it could be coupled together that the information is so persuasive it takes over our belief system and then it comes our belief and then once it is our belief we try and defend it without even thinking about it we just Defend it, defend it, defend it, and ignore the other counter-arguments. So the key question really is, how do we make counter-arguments as interesting, as controversial, or whatever, as the conspiracy account? And that's kind of right. where I am at the research area. <laughs> there is an answer yet of how to do that. Um, it, it's, it's, de- it's a challenge. It's a challenge to try and tease apart the, the influence of conspiracy theories. Well, uh, a lot of what you're saying reminds me of our segment on the backfire effect and uh, our expert on – and uh, you know that sort of general suite of 
you know, uh, responses that we have that you feel when someone, uh, uh, you know, contradicts your belief, you feel attacked or at the very least it feels uncomfortable. And so you want to sort of, you know, dispel that and you you end up, you know, fighting back rather than considering the information. Um, And our expert on that segment talked about how important it is to provide a counter narrative that is as or more interesting than the original story, um, which was a very nice thing to hear because that's what we try to do on our show Mm -hmm. is, you know, say, okay, this isn't this story you've heard isn't true. Here's the here's the real story. And it's even more fascinating than the than the fake one. Um, Or or at least, you know, we try to make it as fascinating as possible. Um, And so that's what we tried to do with our, uh, you know, disproof of the moon landing conspiracy was, you know, I think the idea that it is impossible to fake using technology at the time is like more fascinating than the moon landing Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. itself, because like, I don't know, I like learning about, you know, TV and film technology and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And and it's just sort of this interesting idea that's like fun to roll around in your in your mind. That was our hope was that we would uh uh, that you know that we could help dispel that conspiracy through those means. Um, uh, I noticed that I'm just on the phone or on set, but that's exactly what I'm thinking. Would that kind of engaging kind of segment be a way to make that counter argument as interesting as the conspiracy account? And if we test that empirically, would we find people's beliefs change? That would be really cool to kind of look, look into to see if it actually plays a, play, plays a role in actually intervening and make, 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 making people think about both sides of the coin, the conspiracy count and the mainstream, and then being critical and sceptical of it, as opposed to yeah. just being impacted by the conspiracy theory, that's their belief, and they're not being kind of critical of anything else. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I wish I had a way to tell if that segment, you know, actually changed anyone's mind about the moon landing or if, you know, we're just speaking to people who already, you know, think that mm. the uh, that the moon landing conspiracy theory is silly. Mm. Um I have no way to measure it. It was just our attempt, you mm. know, um uh was to we always want to change minds on our show, you know. Yeah. Um even when yeah. it's very difficult. Um uh but the funny thing about conspiracy theories is that uh, uh, some of the feedback I got on this episode was you, people saying, oh, Adam, I'm so disappointed in you. I thought you were the type of person who wanted to, you know, look behind uh, what everybody believes and find out the real truth. And me, I, as a conspiracy theorist, some people are self-labeling themselves as a conspiracy theorist. That's what I'm all about, too. And it turns out you're just a shill and you're repeating the mainstream account. And that kind of mm. bummed me out a little bit because I am with them on that ethos, right? I do want to look behind mm. Uh, mm. Uh, the mainstream account and correct error right it's just that to me conspiracy theories are another type of error i want to you know try to address uh but i feel a kinship with these with these folks and that's such a weird tension with Mm. conspiracy theories because that's a real important value is Mm. to is to question what you think you know Mm. um but it's been sort of it feels like it's sort of uh, twisted in a way when it comes to conspiracy theories. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or because uh, it is that balance. Because you want to ask questions. That's something that you want people to do. You want people to be skeptical, to to be critical thinkers, to question the mainstream account. That's definitely something that I applaud. I, I just get concerned when I see the impact of conspiracy theories and how it can change your beliefs without you really being aware. And it seems a bit unfair in a way that when you're exposed to this information, let's say on the internet and Twitter, it can change what you think that you're realising. Whereas people should be empowered or feel empowered to look at both sides of the coin, to critically evaluate their argument and other arguments. But research shows people don't do that. People like to stay with the media sources that they kind of are similar with, that 
usually speak the same things that, that, that they think and they say the yeah. same as they think, not necessarily the counter-arguments, the no people. And it's a challenge to get through that. It's a challenge even thinking personally that I'm sure my social media t- uh, feeds are just around my likes and people who speak the same things I, I want to speak. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm probably like being critical myself. So it's it's... It's definitely a challenge trying to think, how can we embed these skills early to try and combat the theory before it comes a theory, to combat people's kind of reliance on this information before it kind of is there. So it could be down to analytical thinking, could be down to even making people feel more empowered. So some research has shown that if people are are able to feel in control, they're less likely to rely on conspiracy theories. So in that example, they had people list the times they fight in control. So to list down the mm. times they fight in control, which I think is good, it's just relaying that to the real world. I can't imagine myself listing the times I fight in control on, <coughs> every morning. I can't imagine my parents doing that. So it needs to be something that's much more kind of top down. So the government making us feel in control, feel empowered via policy or something kind of along those lines. What I find interesting is that control seems to be involved. It's just how to actually make it realistic, actually, that would impact the whole society. Right. It would be strange to only take in information at times that you know that you feel in control in order to get around a gap in your own reasoning abilities. That would be sort of bizarre. And, yeah, you don't want the government to make you feel in control when you're not. Yes. uh, uh, Because you you don't want them to – because, right, that's the illusion of choice. Um, but I'm, th- I'm thinking uh, out loud. Could it be something down to how the news is reported? So how we mm. find out about the princess who's just died? Could it be something to do with how that's relayed to us to try and make us feel as in control and feel as shielded as possible so we're not necessarily relying on the theories straight away to make us feel in control? Do you, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not well, sure how so that would work, our, but... <laughs> well, so much of our news is based around... Uh, the tone is based around fear and being, you know, that something is happening to you without you knowing and, you know, even just, you know, is there poison mm. in your, you know, baby's books or, mm. you know, that sort of, uh, uh, yeah. you know, local news in, in the U.S. Uh, yeah. tone. News breaks now on Twitter, doesn't it, really? So yes. it's the everyday person is the person who's breaking the news for my kind of perception so that will be quite difficult to try and deal with as well yeah. how does that actually happen um, but as i say this is me just thinking out loud so <laughs> yeah well uh, it also it also draws to how the uh you know i think a big reason that the jfk conspiracy became you know the most popular conspiracy theory in american history probably is because mm-hmm. there were such huge gaps in the way the the government sort of covered it and reported it and and the you know the incident itself had these weird qualities uh, mm. that, you know, it, at the very least it was sort of, you know, mishandled, you know, um, uh, in terms of how the, the, you know, what the official account was, right? Mm. Um, and uh, and so those gaps were left for people to mm. fill in themselves, um, mm. which is like, if you want to avoid conspiracy theories popping up, that is something to be avoided, that, mm. you know, like the... Uh, uh, the appearance of secrecy will lead to conspiracy theories, whether or not a conspiracy is actually being committed, mm. uh, which is so maybe that's something to be avoided. Um, oh, and I guess the problem really is when the event happens, it 
you, but usually it's months later until you find out what actually what actually happened. So the right. theories are almost technically the conspiracy theories are not conspiracy theories at that particular moment. It's only when the mainstream comes out and says this is what actually happened that it turns into an alternative theory. I'm guessing. Mm. Um, so that's quite difficult as well. That when someone feels the feelings we've said at control and certain, there's no answer for months potentially until there's been an investigation right. the etc so that's a long time to dry and wait <laughs> whereas at least with the conspiracy theory it's there straight away it makes you feel you know better it's satisfied well it satisfies you at least initially potentially um so it, it, it's, it's a challenge it's it's definitely a challenge for scholars and people alike to think about what can we do about conspiracy theories because we want people to be critical and to question but to not necessarily have the hidden impact that seems to exist at the moment. Well, I'm here talking to Professor Dan Jolly. We will be back in just a moment, so please stick around. Hey, everyone. Freddie Wong. Matt Arnold. And Will Campos. Here to tell you about Story Break, a writer's room podcast where every week we, the Hollywood geniuses behind Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Thrill as we weave the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. We're going to double down on everything that made the prequels great. Jar Jar, (laughs) trade federation, (laughs) politics. Gasp as we assemble a pantheon of heroes for the Kellogg Cinematic Universe. We could get rid of Snap, Crackle, Pop. I wouldn't even miss them. You're crazy. They die in the second Act. Oh, come on. <laughs> and join us as we make fun of Matt as he struggles to name a single Beyonce song. Well, yeah, put a finger on it. Sure, she wants to be Beyonce. Put a um, finger on it. Beyonce's <laughs> famous song. Will we break the story? Or will the story break us? Find out by joining us in the writer's room every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Anna Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm here talking to psychology professor Dan Jolly about conspiracy theories. So do you have any uh, suggestions for on an individual level now that we know that, you know, conspiracy theories are something that everyone is susceptible to? It's not just the crazies. It's not just the other side. Right. Um, We can they can all sneak into our thinking. What can we do on an individual level to avoid being sucked in by conspiracy theory? Because I I even know it's happening to me. You know, when I read the news, I'll start Mm. to develop like, wait, what if what if this is what's going on? you know, behind the scenes. And then I'll start to sort of piece it together and then realize a little while later, oh, wait, I was thinking, I I think I was going down a rabbit hole there. Yeah. It could be really down to a bit like fake news advice that you seek alternative sources, that you don't rely on one source and one author. You go and look for different authors and see what they're saying. Are they saying similar things? Is it very different? Kind of be critical of what you're reading and what you're listening to, which... I know is easy to say because as I said right earlier that even me I don't think I'm that critical on my on my social media I probably just listen to all the yeses but try and look at the nos but even if that makes you feel a bit uneasy a bit ooh, unsure of yourself because obviously we want to you know to dampen down on what we believe but but like with the backfire effect so kind of my big advice there is to kind of look around at other sources whilst we try and work out the best way to kind of present that information to you or to right. to us to you know to everyone to me to try and ensure that the conspiracy count is as relatable so maybe it needs to be adam ruins every single top conspiracy theory and we'll just play your show for every single theory and that could be one way to deal with it 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, we could do we could do our best, uh, uh, but you know, I, I that sort of media usually ends up reaching the people who are really you know big debunking fans, right? Not the people mm. who actually believe True. the conspiracy yep. theories is the issue. And I always wonder about. I read this essay by I think Dana Boyd uh, last year that was about you know uh, is did the idea of. Uh, you know, we used to tell everyone, hey, go do your own research, be critical of what you read and go do your own research, which made a lot of sense in, you know, the 90s when we had a couple of, you know, monolithic media outlets, right, um, that, that you know, you get all your news from, you know, the major networks and CNN, right? Mm. And so you did need to sort of be critical of that and do your own research. But now... Mm. Uh, there's so many there's so 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 many sources and the fact is nobody can actually do their own research about every topic right like yeah. i'm not actually equipped to do my own research about everything in the news yeah. um and so that message of do your own research to some people ends up being a uh, uh just causing them to go to sort of the bad parts of the internet and mm. it ends up being an invitation to confirmation bias of mm. their most paranoid mm. fears you know yeah. and because they say okay well let me do my own research oh alexjones.com you know <laughs> uh, I'm do- yeah. uh, now I'm doing my own research on alexjones.com and now I know what to think and I've been yeah. critical and I did what you told me to and now I believe that you know reptile people are real um, mm. is there I, I don't know do you have any thought on that idea one thing that kind of struck me there was like on Facebook you've got the related sources that appear under news articles I know there's research looking into the role that they play and what sources on there what information's on there so could it be that there's different kind of articles underneath the conspiracy account like that leads to the mainstream kind of mm-hmm. interesting con- you know as controversial points so when someone's exposed to information they get the, the counter argument immediately um there may be research that already looked into that i'm not totally sure but i find that kind of fascinating the whole how we actually digest the media and how we can make it easy and accessible because as you say not everyone's an expert to go and find all these different sources but potentially if it's underneath the conspiracy account or conspiracy you know, it could be a good way to access it uh but with the intervention side of things it's really early days we don't really know much about what to do because it's only, as I say, really been the last few years we've realised, actually, they could actually be quite harmful. They could actually lead to us having inaction, us not engaging society. These things may not be satisfying. So questions are kind of being asked, OK, what can we do about them? Whilst also maintaining the idea that people should be critical. It's, it's a really fine line between the two. Yeah, I, li- I like that you are very focused on like what the actual research shows, and that you know the, you're not speculating uh, very much, which I which I appreciate because you know this is a this is a field where it's very much something that everyone's been talking about off the top of their heads for decades and decades, and now the research is finally being done. So I'm really I'm really happy to have that perspective and to say. I love I love to talk to a research, researcher who says, "Oh, we don't know yet." That's such a wonderful answer. <laughs> And it something is. that people are not very inclined to say anymore no. is, is just, I don't know. You know? It's, a hard it's a very powerful to thing to say. I, I, I want to know. I want to know what to do. But it just right now, I don't. Maybe in if, hopefully for oh, 10 years, we will know all the answers, maybe. But right now, it's just, it's just, the early, it's just learning as, as, as we go along. 
I'm sorry, this is a this is a conspiracy. I'm going to ask you to speculate though. This is a conspiracy <laughs> theory that has that has always fascinated me. Right. Um, and I don't and and what the cause is of people thinking this. And it's so it's such a small one, but I think it illustrates the way that anyone can sort of fall into this kind of thinking. Um, but it's also one of the most bizarre. There's a sort of like recurring conspiracy theory that people will have about pop stars that the pop star has been like killed or kidnapped in some way and replaced by a lookalike. Have you ever encountered this? Yes. Uh, uh, Paul McCartney. I've heard about that yes. one. Beyonce. I've heard Beyonce yep. one. Beyonce's a People robot. People say that about Britney Spears. Britney yes, Spears. exactly. And, okay. and they'll have that was what what I first encountered in you know the early two thousands and people will put will put up photos of the two mm-hmm. of them and say oh look they don't look the same they're a little bit different uh, there's a it even happened to the to the guy Andrew W K who's who's a rock musician in the U S not incredibly popular but um, people were posting photos of him oh here's one with a beard and here's one without a beard look it's a different person you know and it's like it's like all right these were just taken a couple years apart and he's dressed a little differently and he's standing differently in the photo but people believe no they were he was replaced. By uh, by an actor who mm. has since be- who now is performing all the songs, but it isn't real anymore, you know, mm. and uh, and that's a very you know you see it over and over again, but it's you know I hear that and I'm like what is that what is that coming from what is that kernel you know that's mm. not a big event that made me feel fearful mm. Um, mm. Uh, w- yeah do you have any do you have any guesses. Well, the first question is: Are you really Adam? Is that definitely you? <laughs> are you definitely not just a you know lookalike? No. <laughs> no, it's me. I swear. No, don't don't take me away. <laughs> oh, God. And secondly, it's it's a really good point. So, all the research that I've talked about, the biases, the etc., have all looked at belief in conspiracy theories as kind of a one measure. So, we asked about a series of events on nine eleven, Diana, etc. It's kind of a a sum of those scores. Now, typically, those questionnaires don't ask about questions like this: like, do you believe mm. Paul McCartney was replaced by a lookalike? Do you believe Beyonce is a robot? So what you might actually find is that people who subscribe to these kind of wacky, interesting conspiracy theories may have a different profile than those who endorse, let's say, 9-11 and etc. And I'm rocking my brain and I don't think anyone's looked into those wacky conspiracy theories and compared them with, let's say, 9-11, JFK. And my suspicion is that they probably would have different kind of variables associated. There will be different factors that explain why someone believes in the Beyonce one versus the 9-11. And I can't even theorise what <laughs> what could be associated with the 9-11 and um, the Beyonce conspiracy theories. Could it be down to just simple mistrust of information? So it's yeah. mistrust in what's been told to you via the news articles, the government, that it's, you just kind of have that kind of fundamental mistrust of everyone around you, which is associated with, with conspiracy theories that you even doubt your friends and family sometimes. So, right. Which you mentioned in the show, I think, actually. So potentially it could be things like that are associated. So not the biases, like the big event, big cause, but the more kind of personality uh, quirks that we have. But again, that's kind of a research area to look into to compare the two <laughs> types of conspiracy theories. But but I definitely say in my own research, I usually just focus on the ones that endorse the highest. So 9-11, JFK, etc. And right. the other wacky ones I haven't yet kind of looked into. 
But well, that's I what think- that's what I mean. I I feel like so many people. I feel like you know, on top of the people who believe in uh, you know JFK and the moon landing, all that sort of thing, um, that so many people have little mini conspiracy theories like mm-hmm. that. You know, um, just like one mm-hmm. or two odd beliefs um, that they mm-hmm. that sort of like uh, uh, persist with them, and they and they take from place to place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess I guess I'm interested in research on that to be done. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I I won't speculate on it further. <laughs> I would imagine that belief in those theories are quite small compared to JFK one. I imagine these yeah. are a small number of people kind of subscribing to this viewpoint. Um, but it's interesting to see why they do that. You know, it, it's the sort of thing that, well, I think it's also because that's more of a niche interest, you know. But I, I think if you collected all of the niche, niche conspiracy theories together, you'd end, you'd end up seeing it's a very large number of people collectively who believe in one form of little conspiracy theory um, or another, you know. Or even when people think... Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe we're getting too far afield from conspiracy theories, but, you know, people who think, oh, this this particular artwork. Ha- OK, here's another one. Like uh, uh, people who believe that Stanley Kubrick was hiding hidden messages in The Shining. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. like not directly related to moon landing theory. There are people who just think that he was hiding hidden messages about the making of the movie and about things like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, in a particular piece of artwork. That's something else that I've that I've heard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, l- 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 let's get off of that. Um do, why why do you think uh conspiracy theories have become so mainstream over the last couple of years uh mm. that now we feel that you know again this used to feel like a fringe mistake that you know a couple of obsessives would make and now it feels like oh my god almost 60% of the population <laughs> is believing yeah. conspiracy theories they're all around us all the time and they sort of mm. feel like a little bit more like a a threat to uh us living in a rational society I think this is kind of a point of debate. It's some people suggest that the theories have become more popular. So, for example, the Internet, Twitter, they've kind of brought conspiracy theories to our fingertips and has thus made them more popular. Whereas Mm -hmm. others argue that conspiracy theories have always been popular, just maybe necessarily studies as widely as they are now. Some mm. research looked into letters to the New York Times and they looked um, for letters over a 120-year period. It went wow. back to 1890s was the first letters. They found 100,000 letters and they went through and they found conspiracy theories in these letters. So these theories have been around for, well, at least hundreds of years, so at least yeah. a century. But with the internet, it has made them more global than ever before. We can find out about an event and the cause of that event almost in- instantly on Twitter. We, we know what's happened. It's a conspiracy theory, but we know what's happened. And that is something that, that's very unique to the last few years, really. Because before that, it was just letters to the New York Times, for example, and talking to your friends. Like, we couldn't necessarily talk across the pond about the conspiracy theories. Whereas now, 2018, we're having a chat between London and LA about conspiracy theories. Right. So, with my own personal view, I, I definitely think that the internet has played a role. It's made the theories at our fingertips. It made them more global. Potentially, it's made them more popular. But there's no actual research that has tested this longitudinally. So testing it over a period of time with the same people mm. over and over and over. Because what you find with the polls that are out there, it's always different people. 
So it's never the same people saying, yes, I believe that theory. And then a year later, yep, still believe it. It's always different people. So mm. it's hard to say confidently, yes, they've got more popular or not without the evidence. And uh, I'm an evidence man, so I'm kind of like, I need the evidence. <laughs> um, but I definitely take kind of solace that the letters still had conspiratorial viewpoints. So it's not a new phenomenon, but it's definitely at our fingertips. So maybe there aren't more people thinking conspiratorially, but conspiratorial thinking is much more uh, available. It's much more out there just through the process of the Internet, because now those who are conspiratorial minded can make YouTube videos, whereas before they had to sort of mimeograph uh, their zines and stand out on a street corner with a with a sign. Uh, yeah, as everyone's now their own editor. They can edit their own blog, edit their own social media. They can get their message out there. So that's definitely come with our kind of generation. And it'd be interesting to see how that kind of develops. So what happens with new, te- new technologies? How do we, you know, uh, distribute information with new technologies and how that might impact the way we think and, the way, and what we believe in? Um, right. But, Interesting points, I think. Really interesting points to kind of reflect on because people may just think, "Oh, well, they're just they're just now they're just kind of around this era, around the, the Donald Trump era that, that, that the theories have come popular." But in actual fact, they've been around a long time. It's just maybe yeah. the mainstream are paying more attention to them, the, like because definitely us as psychologists are paying more attention to them. So they're in our consciousness more than before, maybe. It's also the first time, at least in recent years, that a a major politician has has leveraged them uh, in the political realm. That's it. I mean, I I think that that was probably done, uh, you know, back in the, you know, sort of late 19th century or the early 20th century. But it's been a couple decades since we've had a a president say, "Okay, hey, conspiracy theorists, uh, I'm the person for you, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was he dubbed the conspiracy candidate at one point or was that me just reading correctly? Uh, I mean, I, I have not seen that phrase in the U.S. press, but it, it you know, it rings it rings <laughs> true because um, it has that, you know, it, it is that, oh, hey, maybe this is true. We don't know. There's a lot of people are saying this and we have to look into it. You know, that sort of suspension of belief is the way that people talk about conspiracy theories, you know, that mm. like not that it definitely is true, but like, hey, no one can prove this wrong, you mm. know, um, mm. that sort of thing. Well, let me here's my last question. Uh uh, do you currently believe any conspiracy theories or is are there any beliefs that you had in the past that you then later recognized in yourself and said, OK, you know what? I was sort of falling prey to conspiratorial thinking here. That is a good question. That, that second part is I never heard that before. The first question I hear that all the time. Do you believe in them <laughs> all the time? Uh, I, I asked you the most cliche interview question. I, I did it because people always when you know, that's oh, man. The, the interviewer has become the interviewee because, uh, you know, when I'm doing my show, I always get asked, is there any topic you can't ruin people? <laughs> that, that When someone asks me that, I'm like, all right, they fell into the trap and they asked me the sort of cliche question. I just asked you the cliche question uh, for your field. And, and I now I'm embarrassed. I, love, I loved it. Well, I'll answer. So now I definitely see them as more kind of fascinating research tools, as kind of quirks in our kind of nature. And not necessarily my own beliefs. I kind of have some come so intertwined with the literature and and my research and the beliefs that I kind of can't really have an opinion on them. I don't feel I can say, yes, I believe in that because of X reason, because I see it more as, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder why people believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I came interested in this field when I was thinking about my kind of 
dissertation? Like, what can I research? What can I kind of look into? And I found conspiracy theories really fascinating back then. Not necessarily that I believed in them, even before my research, but believed just because I, I just was fascinated in people talking about them and that the possibility that Diana potentially maybe had been killed by the government. This really sparked my interest. And then I've kind of come so, influ- influ- so influenced by conspiracy theories that I'm still researching them now. So I'm kind yeah. of in my own trap, really, by saying they're so powerful that they've kept me going for the last six, seven years looking into them. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I am, that there's, at the moment, I like to say I'm quite sceptical and I kind of don't prove them true, don't prove them false. I just kind of take them as they are and kind of find them interesting. Yeah, there, there okay. are some there are some uh, theories or ways of thinking that are so powerful that uh, even when you're when you don't actually believe them, they sort of draw you to them. And I, I've I've always felt that as well. Like you know, when I was a teen, I got really into you know the Illuminati and those sort of ideas, and I treated it as a fictional you know thing i i never actually believed that it was true but i loved reading about other people's illuminati mm. theories and uh you know reading about the history of of that sort of thought and then you know in recent life you know i got really interested in scientology and finding out mm. about oh what do they believe and etc um and i know a lot of people feel the same way you know um uh and it's interesting because there's something about these ideas that you know, you 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 can't help but recognize their power because even if you don't believe them, you sort of you, you know are drawn to them like a moth to a light and just find them <laughs> fascinating. You want to roll them around and and think about them in a way. Mm. Exactly, that's the reason why I'm still doing that. I'm still here looking into <laughs> why you believe in them. So I'm kind of I'm my own victim really that I've been drawn in by conspiracy theories, but it's fun. I well, enjoy it. Well, your your research is fascinating. I'm I'm glad you're doing it. Um, and if you actually uh, look into any of the topics we discussed on this episode, or you said, "Oh, that would be a really interesting research project," if you do any of them, please let me know and come back on the show and tell us how they turned out. I would love that. I definitely love that. <laughs> I'm definitely fascinated to see if the show actually will reduce people's beliefs. If it makes some people yes. more critical, I'm definitely tempted to do that study. Let's like, go and do it. Like, um... oh yeah, take take our segment and do like uh, do a study with it and see if it reduces people's belief in the moon landing i want to see that yeah <laughs> i want to know it's it a good segment i i really i enjoyed it myself i really like it, I thought it was really good but, but it's so hard to know i mean our goal again is just to reach folks and it's so hard yeah. to know if we are and if i had a hard data it would really relieve me <laughs> to, <laughs> to know even to know certainly that it was that it didn't work i would find to be a yeah, relief because right, yeah. i would be like okay then we could adjust for next time um yeah. well thank you so much for coming on the show dan it was really uh a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been it's been great. I'm delighted yeah. to be here. I'm really excited. <laughs> like, <laughs> like on set. <laughs> well, thank you once again to Dan for coming on the show. That is it for this week's Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. We will be back in just two weeks, so please tune in then. Our producer is Shara Morris. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about our podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, whatever it may be. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment whenever you subscribe. Again, you can find clips and full episodes of Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show, at truetv.com slash Everything and the Watch True TV app. Until then, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Adios. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.